Welcome to the Happy Holy Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Holy You, you know that we are all about health and well-being, and we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. Welcome to the Happy Whole You podcast. Today I have Dr. Josh Lovett with me, and he is a naturopathic physician. And today we are going to talk about some tips that you can take. He's going to mention three things that I think are really important about getting to the root and working with musculoskeletal pain. He was so fun to talk to in this podcast, and he has a degree in physiology from UCLA. He has his doctorate in naturopathic medicine. He did residency training in integrative medicine. And for over 10 years, he preceded medical residents from the Yale School of Medicine. He has over 20 years of direct clinical experience with thousands of patients. And I just love that he is, let's get to the root of things. Let's help you naturally, holistically. And yes, if we need surgeries or anything like that, we can go that way. But let's take a look at some other things first. So I'm so excited to share Dr. Josh with you and he is the founder and owner of Up Wellness and he will talk more about that on the show. So here we go. All right, Dr. Josh, thank you for joining me today. It is my pleasure. I am happy to be here on Happy Whole You. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So before we dive in, share with everyone, if you could just give them the 411 on who you are and what you're all about. Yeah, gladly. I'll keep it short. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I live and work in Connecticut, Yale School of Medicine, and uh, the big hospital there is right down the street. So I'm in Connecticut. It's beautiful springtime right now. I've had like 25 years of a natural medicine career. Like I say, I'm a naturopathic doctor. Doctor. I am a part of a clinic where there's multiple doctors. So it's a group practice. I've been seeing patients in that context for many, many years, many of whom have uh, musculoskeletal pain, inflammatory disorders of various kinds. And my expertise is in uh, the broad spectrum of sort of human illness, but I treat common problems chronic problems and complex medical problems using a natural medicine first approach. That's where I'm at. So what led you down this road? Because, you know, I think what there's five naturopathic schools left in this country. And so what made you want to go that route versus just traditional MD? Yeah, well, that that's a story. I'll tell you, and it's a, it's a good story too. So 
I grew up in California. I come from a family with a lot of doctors and I was one of those kids that always wanted to be a doctor. That was just, you know, it was sort of built in, in my blood somehow. I went to UCLA in pursuit of that passion. I studied neurophysiology there and my dad was training medical residents at UCLA at the time. And I had sort of, I guess you might call it like backstage kind of access to doctors, many of whom were telling me, this is right, like 25 years ago or more, that medicine kind of just ain't what it used to be, was sort of the, the idea that they were expressing and actually being quite discouraging of me this college kid going into medicine and and the reasons were like the increasing influence of insurance the mm. you know the increasing influence of big pharma the decreases in autonomy because of these big hospital systems they were working for and so that gave me pause and it gave me something to think about so what i did is i took a year off after college and i traveled this is the kind of travel like with a backpack you know sleeping on beaches hitchhiking Love you know <laughs> living in youth hostels and that sort of thing all around and during that trip i admittedly I, my personal high hygiene wasn't great. I wasn't taking lots of showers. I got a blister on the back of my foot from my sandals and it got infected. And that blister, that skin infection turned into something called cellulitis, which is a very serious problem ascending up my leg. And this was, I was in like a very, I had a fever. This was like a a limb or even maybe life-threatening situation. So I was in Switzerland at the time. I called home. I got a prescription for antibiotics, which I desperately needed, called into a pharmacy that was in Zurich in Switzerland. And I went in there with a fever. I was really sick. The good news is the antibiotics cured my infection. And the maybe even better news is that when I was in there, I noticed that in a pharmacy in Switzerland, which is still true to this day, all over Europe and in lots of places, they have all herbal stuff. They have homeopathic (laughs) stuff. They have tea. They have all this cool stuff. That was like just totally foreign to me, right? Like I I needed antibiotics at the time, but I was exposed at this time where it was like a a time of, of growth and looking and searching, you know, that kind of time of life. And I saw this, right? And it it turns out that like in Europe and in lots of other places, herbal medicines or natural medicine first, like I said, as I described my practice is, (laughs) is really just the way to go. Whereas here in America, we love the big guns, you know, the big sledgehammers first. Anyway, that pharmacy experience lit a fire in me that is still burning now. And so it's it's funny, like, if you think about it, like I'm the naturopathic doctor, I'm super passionate about all this stuff, but like I got my first exposure to naturopathic medicine on a day when I needed antibiotics, like no doubt about it. Right. (laughs) And so here I am like in this natural medicine first practice, but also with like a very profound respect for the power of Western or mainstream medicine when it's needed too. And so that's like, kind of like this, like really interesting yin and yang that's Mm -hmm. been present throughout my life and my practice, you know, up, up, up till the present. Oh my gosh. That's such a cool story. And what a gift that blister was to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. The gift of the gift of cellulitis. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think, you know, uh, that's the thing is, you know, Western medicine for, you know, acute things that happen it's it's like so incredibly important and we've come so long so far in medicine but then on the flip side in America we've really lost that holistic health that native american approach the european approach like some of these you know homeopathic approaches to supporting one's foundations of health so there's room for both for sure and yeah. i love that you're doing what you're doing cuz it should not be all one sided so I want to jump in to the pain aspect of, of what you do. So you help people that are in pain kind of get to the root cause. And 
you know, can you share, cause there's a lot of people, even people that I see that are in a lot of pain. What's something common that you see and how, what is like some low hanging fruit in terms of your approach to supporting them when you first meet with them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, you know, and I, I came to this sort of expertise in musculoskeletal pain, not, I guess, partly because of my own background. I was a surfer and a skateboarder and I was a rough and tumble. And so I broke a lot of things. I've had lots of x-rays, lots of sprains and strains, always in a cast of some kind. So like there, yeah. there, that was like, <laughs> I, I get it sort of personally in that way. And I suppose it was always of interest because of those reasons, but it also turns out that so many people, regardless of whatever other thing they're coming in for, it might be gastrointestinal or neurologic or whatever, just have pain, right? Like something hurts. It's very rare actually to come up across a person, especially a person who's above 40 or so years old, who doesn't complain that something or other hurts, right? And yeah, often those sure. problems are, you know, old problems that are coming back to haunt them, that knee that they hurt in football or cheerleading or dance or whatever, or this chronic problem, you know, their neck or their hands or their carpal tunnel. And so it just seemed like it just made sense that like one person after another, after another is walking in the office with some variant of musculoskeletal pain, that it became an area that I had no choice but to become interested in because my patients all had these types of problems. And then years and years and now decades of observing patterns in these people and trying Trying to understand why some people get better, why some people don't, why some people sort of go down this, this rabbit hole of Western medicine with x-rays and MRIs and surgery and still don't feel better and unlocking and understanding those patterns with my sort of holistic perspective is what led me is what has led me to where I am now. So that's, that's what we can talk about for sure. Yeah. That's so interesting. So my listeners, they don't know about this. Um, this is something I recently went through. I've been having pain in my right hip. And it's more of like this radiating that goes down across the hip flexor down to the groin area. It's been going on for some time. And I was going to car, I was getting chiropractic care, doing all the things that do biocharger sauna therapy, mm. you know, all these things that I, that I do at my practice and I would get relief, but it wasn't like it would come and I would like, it would throb when I was in bed at night. And so finally I got really like frustrated. One thing I wasn't doing is I wasn't stretching properly. I wasn't working on my fascia or anything like that. And I was referred to this doctor down in Southern California, who is like the best. I'm told he's the best, right? So I go in, he's the best. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, whatever he says, you know, and he literally at 40 years old tells me I need a hip replacement. Whoa. And I'm like, holy cow. And he shows me on the x-ray and he shows me all these things. And I had an MRI and I had a labral tear and some other things going on. So anyways, I go to, I'm like, okay, I got to get this. I, in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. I have to get this done knowing like in my brain, I know better than this, but mm. I like totally went with the white coat and I'm going with it. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks before I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to just get a couple other opinions. I go to two other doctors. One is a naturopathic doctor. And then my other doctor is he's anytime I have a foot issue or a knee problem from my running, he helps me with that. So he's an orthopedic surgeon. So I go to both of them and both of them say to me, Anna Marie, this looks like it's coming from your back. And I'm like, interesting. Both of them say that. So then I proceed to get PRP in my lower back. I get PRP in my hip. And then I, it, it's starting to like over some time start to get a little bit better. But also at the same time, I stopped running and doing things like that. 
and started stretching a lot more. So who knows like what's working here, but it doesn't matter. I'm feeling better. And then what was interesting is I started doing this one stretch for hip impingement. And then I started doing this other rollout thing for a nerve impingement. If I had either one, I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to try everything. And the moment I started doing those two things completely went away. Wow. It was insane. It was mm-hmm. totally insane. So anytime I start to feel any of that stuff that's happening, I do these, the stretch, I do this rollout thing and it completely goes away. And here's the thing is I was about to sign up at 40 years old to have my hip replaced. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I know I should, right, you know, right. I told myself, I'm like, I'll give myself six months. And if I can't, if I can't move the needle, then maybe I'll reapproach this. Yeah. So, well, you're a case in point. I mean, that's, that's an amazing case study. And I, I, to your listeners, I hadn't heard this story before we started talking either. So this is new to all of us and it's a remarkable story and it's shocking how common it is. It's Mm -hmm. also shocking and really tragic, actually, how many people don't do what you did, right? Don't actually take that step and say, let's see if I can figure this out another way. And I mean, it's a great jumping off point for our conversation, right? Because you were told by the best doctor Mm -hmm. that you needed this hip replacement on the basis of your pain, your presentation, and also some imaging, right? That imaging was probably an x-ray and or an MRI, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that people don't understand. And it's it's such a great frustration. And I love the opportunity to talk to folks like you on podcasts about this because it's such an unknown out there in the the world of the patient population, which is that x-rays and MRIs MRIs are, are very imperfect. They are not perfect. They don't show you everything. It might even be fair to say that they lie sometimes, right? And not, not in the sense that like an x-ray or MRI is showing you something that's not there. It's just that those images don't tell the whole story, right? Because they don't show muscle tension. They don't show inflammatory changes. They don't show fibrotic accumulations in a fascia that might be causing a nerve impingement and stuff. And so what you see is these structural things like, oh, there's a disc herniation, a labral tear, a meniscus tear, you know, bulging this and that, you know, narrowing of some aperture, you know, all this stuff that you can see. And it's shocking to a patient when they see it. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I saw it. I must be broken, right? Yeah, it's proof, right? But here's the thing, and and there's so many examples of this. You even there's some nuance in your discussion about your own story that should give all of us a clue, which is that like you would maybe go to a chiropractor, a massage therapist, or get acupuncture, and then it would be better, right? Well, maybe, and it wasn't better for a long time, but it was at least partially better. Or maybe for a lot of people, it's like, I go for a walk and it feels better, or it's better when I'm on vacation. It's worse when I'm at work, these kind of things. It's better on the weekends, worse during the week. Then that problem, that labral tear, that meniscus tear, that bulging disc, that are, those arthritic degenerative changes, those don't change on the weekend, you know, or on right. vacation. They're there all the time. And so if you're better sometimes and you're pain-free sometimes and you have pain other times, then there must be something else Mm -hmm. happening that's causing the pain, that's turning that, what we see on the MRI in your knee, your hip, your back into something that's painful. And it turns out, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like there's hundreds of thousands of surgeries that are performed every year in situations just like this, hundreds of thousands of unnecessary or inappropriate surgeries. And this is not a naturopathic doctor saying this, this is published in mainstream yeah. medical journals, yeah. <laughs> well-known. And that's that's frightening, right? Like there's times where a foam roller and an appropriate stretch would fix the problem, fix the pain. Yeah. 
And it's striking how many people are walking around with degenerative labral tears, degenerative meniscus tears in their knees and disc herniations, bulging or disc in their neck or in their back who have no pain at all. Many, many, many people walking around with those same findings on an MRI who have no pain. So that should tell us something, which is that there's more to the story than just what we see on the image. And basically that's what my career is all about essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You're so right. So my orthopedic surgeon was like, Anna Marie, look at your other hip in the MRI imaging. I have labral tears in both hips. Yeah. How come that one doesn't hurt? Yeah. Right. So the question became, why do I only feel it in this hip and I don't feel it in the other hip? Yeah. And so that was a really good question and discovery as well. But I also want to throw in that what's interesting is my mom, she had her right hip replaced and had pain in her right hip. So in my mind also, I think we do this. It's like, oh, well, that happened with, you know, my parents or my grandparents or whatever. So we justify moving forward with things versus going into discovery mode of, you know, what can I try? And I think, I think too, you know, I'm really fortunate that I have the one, the capacity here at what I all do with my center. So I have access to a lot of different alternative therapies. And then I also have the, the finances to go and get PRP because this isn't covered by insurance sure, and, right. and I do have, you know, different opportunities. And so it is, it is also frustrating to, you know, some people that's just like, oh, well, if my insurance doesn't cover it, then I'm not going to like, and my insurance doesn't cover it. So then they, they yeah. act like my insurance doesn't cover it. So then I shouldn't do this. And I think that that's that training that we get from our, the insurance companies and pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. 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 That's what those doctors were talking to me about so many years ago. And that, that's a problem, <laughs> sadly, that we're not going to fix here today. You know, there's yeah. some fundamental problems in uh, healthcare administration here that something that could be useful, productive, curative is not covered, even though it's safer, cheaper, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I no, I understand there's, yeah, anyway, like, like I say, there, that's a problem we're not going to fix today, yeah. but, uh, but an important one nonetheless. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tragic that something so invasive is just the covered thing. And a lot of people wind up doing it just yeah. because of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if I would have got my hip replaced, it would have been max $1,200 out of pocket. Right. That would have been my cost. And I've done a couple of PRPs. They're about five, $600 a pop, you know, and then some other things that I've spent way over that and insurance doesn't cover any of it, but yeah. you know, I'm okay with that. I'd rather do that than get a hip replacement. <laughs> and then stretching and foam rolling is like nothing. It doesn't cost you anything. The foam yeah. Rolling. Pretty much free. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's interesting. Okay. So what are some tips, like people that are feeling like that are in pain and having these challenges, what are some things that naturally you recommend that maybe they explore before, you know, jumping into some, some crazy cutting under the knife thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right. We need to get practical or pain here. meds. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and the, the usual mainstream approach, someone in pain is going to be non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, then steroids, which are steroidal anti-inflammatories, you know, either by, by mouth or by injection, and then on up to surgical interventions, arthroscopic or, or full bone total joint replacements. And so, yeah, that's the usual mainstream march. And, and, and I would propose an alternative, or maybe it's even like lower rungs on that ladder that come from this like construct, which is to help understand, help a person understand, like, why does it hurt in the first place? Right. So you have hip pain. Yes. There's some structural issues that have been identified by x-ray and MRI. I think we can all agree based on our conversation now that those aren't the whole story. They might be part of the story, right? And so structural issues are one thing, right? And and you can go after those structural issues. PRP is one way to do that. You know, surgery is another way to do that. But I would 
de-emphasize the importance of those structural things on the basis that we just described. A lot of people have structural problems and don't have any, any pain like your other hip, right? So yes, let's acknowledge those structural things and address them with biomechanical tools, chiropractic, PRP if necessary, even up to surgery. But then let's talk about those other things that are the drivers of pain that are maybe not so visible on MRIs. And I would, I would propose that there's three main ones and maybe even a fourth that we can add in there. Number one is inflammation, not readily seen on imaging tests, a huge problem because of indiscretions in diet and lifestyle. So addressing excessive inflammation using dietary modifications, lifestyle modifications, and like judicious use of supplements. And I can talk specifically, I love BCM 95 curcumin, a specialized proprietary curcumin extract. It's a powerful anti-inflammatory agent. I love Boswellia for that, which is uh, frankincense. People know of it as those are two of my top favorites and I could, I could go on and on, but inflammation, that's number one. Number two, and uh, part of your story is wrapped up here is, is muscular tension imbalances in muscu muscular strength or flexibility. So we need to put forth a protocol first, an assessment that assesses the strength and the flexibility, the biomechanics of the muscles, the soft tissue in the area, strengthen what needs to be strengthened, stretch what needs to be stretched. And a lot of times that will resolve the pain, even in the setting of a labrum meniscus or disc herniation, yeah. right? So that's muscular tension imbalances. That's number two. Number three, you also alluded to with the fascia conversation is I call it fibrosis, which is scar tissue formation. It can be microscopic or on a larger scale, macroscopic, especially if a person's had an older injury, that's kind of like coming back to haunt them, so to speak. And um, yeah, those sorts of things, the combination of inflammation, muscular tension and fibrosis underlie a lot of people's musculoskeletal pain and those need to be addressed to address the muscle tension you stretch them you strengthen them magnesium is something i use a lot to help alleviate the tension in overly tight or spastic muscles oh, magnesium is so good and i I think I read something upwards of 80% of adults in America are deficient in magnesium. So yeah, it's absolutely at least suboptimal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mineral that's present in the soil and our soil is depleted and most people don't mm -hmm. eat the right foods that contain rich sources of yeah. magnesium and other minerals. So yeah, absolutely. And when you're magnesium deficient, your muscles are more likely to be tight. And if there's a labrum tear in your hip, those muscles, the glutes, the groin muscles, all those muscles being tighter are going to allow the pain of that labral tear to manifest itself. Right. Which is kind of what happened to you. And so, yeah, so there you have it. Muscle tension, inflammation, and fibrosis are key features that often occur around an affected joint that's painful. And when you resolve them, the pain goes away, even if that structural problem persists. And I mentioned one other thing, and I know you have kind of a lot of background in this area, which is, and you alluded to this too, your story is so compelling, is like the stories that we tell ourselves about the pain that we have, right? <laughs> pain, like it, it like it triggers fear. You know, am I not going to be able to run? Is the same thing going to happen to me that happened to my mother or my grandmother? Yeah. Am I not going to be able to work or make money? Am I not going to be able to do the things, perform at the level I perform at? And so that, that kind of trope that we get in, in our heads about pain actually turns out to perpetuate the pain and mm -hmm. make it worse. So yeah, in addition to those structural medical things like inflammation, muscle tension, fibrosis, structural problems, there's also this psycho-emotional piece, which really needs attention in people with musculoskeletal pain. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's that neuro association. So it's like, if you, if you constantly are connecting with your pain every day, yeah. like look, almost looking for it. Right. So for a while, when I would go do anything, I'd be like, okay, am I feeling my hip? Like I would literally be thinking, am I feeling my hip when I would start like running right. or starting to do something? 
And so I had to also disconnect from that with giving that so much attention. And, you know, there's, yeah, that's, and then plus once you're like, some people too, I'll see, and I'm sure you've seen this where you have people that come in that no matter what, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's just always something wrong. And so, and then usually I find that's usually paired with a level of anxiousness or anxiety. So they're living in this heightened state with this amygdala going, ah, yeah, right, you know, right, right. And, and, and like an unrealistic expectation of what life or a body is supposed to feel like, right? Like the right. idea that like, you know, I've had to try to relieve a lot of patients over the years of this idea that everything in their body is supposed to feel perfect all the time. Right. Like, I mean, if you, if you, if that's what, and, and for many of us, you know, that was the case for many of our younger years, you know, and mm-hmm. then as things start to, you know, start to get older, you know, things might change, but the idea that I'm going to wake up every morning, feel great. Every part of my body is going to feel great. I'm going to run, I'm going to lift, I'm going to do all the things that I do and not ever have a twinge, you know, well, good luck with that. Right. Like that's yeah. just not how it works. And then if every time one of those twinges happens, you spin off into like a fear. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, is this the end of the world as we know it, well, you're going to have a lot of suffering that you just don't, don't need. I offer a lot of times, you know, and when we sort of iterate on that pain and we sort of, it starts to cycle like that, people become incapacitated often. Usually there's an anxiety component to that. And when we're talking about musculoskeletal pain, the vast majority of cases, it's not dangerous, right? It's, it's not something that's going to shorten your life. It might make it more uncomfortable, but it's really not dangerous. And it's interesting because pain kicks off fear because it's supposed to be, it's a danger response, right? If you're too close to fire, you feel the pain to change your behavior, move your hand away from the fire. So you don't get burnt. Fire is actually dangerous. Whereas Mm -hmm. musculoskeletal pain is usually not. And so a mantra that some people can learn to work with when they have a pain that's chronic or persistent is, is just that it's not dangerous. It just hurts, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, if you can deal with that and get that into your head and, and kind of own that mantra, it's not dangerous. It just hurts. Then you can start to do that separation that you were successfully able to do. Yeah. And I think too, like the body is always giving us information. And so when the body is sending pain signals and there's something not right here, that is your cue to do something about it. But instead of like us literally listening to our body and doing something about it, what we do is we go to a medical professional and have them tell us what to do versus like getting quiet and being like, okay, like once I like took a step away of the extreme that I was heading in and got quiet and was like, okay, what could I be doing? And like, really started to like, listen to my body and start stretching and doing a few of these gentle things, things shifted so much for me. So I think there's to that component of, you know, it's almost like people have almost a disconnect to their body too. Yeah. You know, like, like, oh, I'm a victim of my body. And it's like, right, you're not right. a victim of your body. Yeah, and also, and, and that doctors are going to be my salvation, right? That's the mm-hmm. other part of it. And, and I think like we've offloaded the responsibility for our healthcare, right? The care of our own bodies yeah. inside and out to a system that, that hopefully has our best interest in mind. I don't want to bash Western doctors or people who replace hips either, but I do, th- yeah. because I think it can be a beautiful and miraculous Thing. Oh yeah. Like my mom, her life completely changed with her. Totally. Hip and and sure. so hers was, hers was necessary and important yes. and life-changing. And it, you know, it's funny. I, I talk about this a lot, this idea that there's, and it's not even an idea, the fact that there's so many inappropriate or unnecessary surgeries that happen in this country. And the, the numbers are staggering. It's really in the hundreds of thousands every year. But every time I talk about this, people get upset. 
you know, they'll, they'll, some people are with me. They're like, yeah, that's right. You know, unnecessary surgery, right? Other people are upset in the other way. And they're like, no, my surgery was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, I'm thinking Which like, is good. that's but- great. Like, congratulations. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing, right? Just because yeah. you had, and many millions of people have successful appropriate surgeries doesn't mean that inappropriate ones never happen. And so it's a really interesting thing. Get, people get really heated up about this. And, and I guess the question is, you know, or the problem lies in patient selection, right? Picking the right person who's going to benefit from that procedure. And unfortunately, because of those incentives, insurance, and all sorts of other reasons, we often, we, the medical community, pick people who are not the best candidates for surgery, just because that's what we have. And this is not just in orthopedics, but in all, I mean, cesarean sections, heart stents, you know, the list goes on and on and on of surgeries that are done that don't need to be done. And so that's shameful. That's a shameful situation. Yeah. 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 It's like, well, if you're going to, if you're going to go to a surgeon, you're probably going to get a surgery. right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, 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 and there you bring up like, it's such another good point. Like, it's like, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Yeah. But that's another problem, isn't it? Like we have the idea and you express this at the front of the show, like the doctor that you went to go see who replaces hips is like the best. Right. So like yeah. <laughs> that person knows everything about hips and they're the hip master. Right. But the reality is that person is a master at one thing around hips, which is this narrow lane of replacing them with prosthetics, right? Which is a beautiful thing, but he's not going to talk to you about fascia and foam rolling and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so it's like we've decided that our, our our Western medicine, especially surgeons, are sort of like these deities in a way and that they know everything, but they don't. They know a fairly narrow area and there's other experts that are out there that have other things to offer. So yeah, good for you. And not to say that it's never going to happen, but um, right, right now you're, 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 you're smooth sailing. So that's, that's awesome. It's a great story. Yeah. Just postpone and you'll see, see what uncovers as time goes on. So what are some things that you do because I'm guessing you're not 25 anymore and you've been skating, <laughs> you know, and surfing and all the things that yeah. you've done. You said you broke many, many bones and things like yeah. that. So what do you do to keep yourself pain-free or at least to minimize the discomfort in your body every day. Yeah, so I, I do practice what I preach, and and I think that that hopefully comes across. And and I'm, I'm grateful to report that I feel pretty good most of the time. You know, if I push it in one way or another, which I'm prone to do, um, I I'll pay for that. But the baseline is those lowest rungs of the ladder, right? Which is my diet and my lifestyle. So in my in my diet, I'll just briefly address that here. As and this shouldn't come as any surprise, is minimally processed foods, right? So like, you know, single ingredient foods that come from either farmer's markets or from the perimeter of of the grocery store of a very diverse set of foods that are in a minimally processed form is the way that we eat loaded with spices. Uh, Most of the food that we eat in our family, and it's a family of five is cooked here or prepared by ourselves, right? So it's a minimally processed diet that's rich in all of the good omega-3 fatty acids, which promote an anti-inflammatory sort of physiology. And so that's the foundation, I think. And then on top of that is the lifestyle, which includes a lot of different components, but it involves daily exercise. And, and for me, I'm a hiker. So I, I hike every day. I have a dog. She loves to hike. So we are off leash hiking for at least three miles a day. Every single day I live in Connecticut. Like I told you, no matter what the weather mm-hmm. we're out there. And so I hike probably 350 days a year. I rarely ever miss. And it's only because of travel or, you know, so that's another fundamental part of it. And I've got to tell you like that becoming part of one's lifestyle, daily movement, 10,000 steps yeah. a day, whatever you want to, however you want to classify it 
is it does wonders. You know, mm -hmm. I also sleep a lot. I go to sleep early and on a regular mm -hmm. schedule. I minimize my so exposure important. to toxins and manage my stress well. You know, those sorts of things. You know, be out as, in nature as much as possible. So diet and lifestyle, and those are two big things we could talk for hours about, are the foundation of, of my my wellness protocol for my own self. And then for musculoskeletal pain specifically. If or when I'm in a jag where I'm having some kind of problem, might be my back or my neck or my knee or something like that. Thankfully, they don't happen that often. I use a combination like we just talked about that includes curcumin, boswellia, quercetin, bromelain, which is an antifibrotic enzyme, and magnesium, which we also talked about to keep my musculoskeletal system on point. And I'll updose that if I'm having acute problems, and then I'll keep it moderate for for long term or durational reasons. So that's the that's the basis of my musculoskeletal pain protocol. I love it. It's like, it's so simple, right? It it's so hard. simple, but yet it's right. so not right. Yeah. We, I think we, we make things way more complex than they need to be. It's like, get outside, move your body, get sunshine, you know, eat foods that are not in a plastic bag that have been sitting on a shelf for, you know, three months. And <laughs> Yeah. And of course, you know, for people who have a significant illness or disease or symptom or injury or trauma or whatever, there's, you know, we, we, we level up from there and there's all sorts of things oh, that can yeah. be done of increasing severity. I'm grateful that my body works. I'm pretty confident that a lot of the practices that I've instilled into my life and my diet for the last 25 plus years are the reason for that, you know, and I hope to keep it that way for many, many more decades. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, that's the thing is like just taking personal responsibility responsibility and, and doing the best that you can. And, you know, I, I call myself an 80, 20 gal, like, you know, 80% of the time I'm eating well and, you know, and then maybe we, we do get a pizza on a Friday night, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, and I don't beat myself up. Like I always go back to the psychological aspect, you know, of it. If, if my husband used to say, if you think it's going to make you fat, it's probably going to make you fat. And I was like, he would say that. And I'm like, whatever. And then I actually started to learn a little bit more and really digestion actually starts when you first start thinking about food. People Indeed. think it's when you put it in your mouth, but it's when yeah. you start thinking about food. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about food, oh, I'm going to eat this and that sounds good. And it's going to be like, you know, a really good experience versus, oh, I shouldn't eat that. Oh, I want that. Oh, it's fat. Oh, this. Oh, the. Yeah. And then you put food in a hostile environment. Yep. Everybody's not going to be able to break it down and do all the things that it needs to do. So It's so right. And I, I love the 80-20 idea as well. And I, I'm never a fan of people like martyring themselves, you know, for, for, for the cause of natural health, right? Like it, it, it just doesn't make sense. In fact, now there's a new term you're probably familiar with. It's been coined called orthorexia, which is sort of an eating disorder for people who are obsessed with healthiness, or maybe it's organic or pesticide free or gluten free or whatever the case may be. It, it can become a neuroses, right? And, and now you have all this anxiety wrapped up around your food and food is no longer enjoyable. It's just whether or not it's organic or whether or not it's gluten-free or something. And that's not, that's not healthy. If we think of health as this bigger picture thing that includes our body, our mind, our spirit, our consciousness, you know, and our connectivity to other people, you know, those sorts of neuroses are not forwarding that cause. So yeah, life is short. We should enjoy it too. And we want to try to live out to our maximum genetic potential. We want to like feel good along the way. I don't think that requires extremes generally. Yeah. Yeah. I am not a big fan of extremes at, by any case. It's funny because people will, you know, they'll see me and be like, oh, don't look at what I'm eating. Or they'll be like, oh yeah. Like they just like assume things about me because it, it, it's interesting because I think that we've gone so far to the other side of being unwell 
that when people are even a little well or try to do like eat healthier stuff, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, like, it's like you look at them like, oh, you're on a diet. And it's like, no, this is just how I eat. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> this is just how we should all eat, but you know, it's not anything extreme. I don't, I don't believe in doing anything extreme either. So. And I think, you know, whether it's dietary or even just this approach that we're talking about to the way we manage health problems, like it's funny to me that it's described as alternative medicine, right? Like it's like, <laughs> It was never alternative. What's the alternative about was. that? Like, it, right? It doesn't. It doesn't seem like like that doesn't seem like quackery or snake oil medicine to me. Yeah. Like, we're just talking about eating well, moving your body a yeah. lot, getting good sleep. You know, using like less toxic things that might work rather than mm-hmm. and working your way up up the chain. Like, why is that alternative? Like, when it went, yeah. like that's a strange word to describe that. It seems pretty mainstream to me. Yeah, food and herbs is like the OG of medicine. Mm. Yeah. Before we had pharmaceuticals, it was herbs and foods to heal one's body. So it's like the, it shouldn't be called alternative. Western medicine is alternative right now. Yeah, indeed. This is the alternative from where we used to be. Totally. And just like I said in the beginning, my experience in that pharmacy in Switzerland, I think it's like, it's weird how in other places there's been this, you know, obviously there's been advances in medicine, like new drugs, new surgical techniques, and they're wonderful things like advances in technology happen too. And I I use the technology or like think of music, like as a, as a metaphor for this, like in your vinyl record, and then eight track tapes and cassette tapes and CDs and now like streaming on Spotify. And like, there's still value, right? In like the old vinyl records. In fact, they're coming back now. But like in America, what we did as each new technology comes out is like, get rid of all the old stuff. Yeah. Now we're on eight track tapes. Get rid of those. Let's move to cassettes. Get rid of those. Let's move to CDs. And in Europe and in other places, Asia and elsewhere, they just like kept the vinyl records on the shelf. They're still cool, you know? And so that's how it works with medicine too. Like the herbs, the nutritional stuff, like like the bodywork techniques, all that stuff is vintage, right? And it still works. And we should still use that first, you know, as long as it's a safer, cheaper, less toxic alternative, and then work up the line from there. You know, what's yeah. what's alternative about that? Oh man, I did a podcast. This was a while back. I should send it to you. And those of you that are listening, if you haven't heard this podcast, you can go back to it. But it was, I, I went through the timeline of how holistic health has been like essentially dismantled in this country and go through some significant things in history where we, it was literally an effort to remove it, right. To throw it all out when it should just be like, and we have this right? (laughs) and we have these advances, like how cool is it to have all of that? Right. And so, but it it is really, it's really interesting. So I think a lot of more people are starting to wake up and question and just be like, oh, well, what else could I do? What else is out there? Because I do believe too, that more and more young people are feeling more pain and being, you know, they're not comfortable at all. And I think the root of it is that inflammation response because inflammation levels, I think are starting at at a quite younger age now, just due to diet and lifestyle and and all of that. So, and then also posture and structure, right? There's so many people just kind of leaning over their phone and that head forward position. Now screen time is just at an all time high. And so you add like dietary inflammation, environmental exposures, which promote inflammation, both in the diet and in, in environment. 
environment, and then all these structural problems, inactivity at all time highs, weird structural things that our bodies are just not accustomed to with shoulders <laughs> forward, head forward like that. Yeah, that's a recipe for increasing pain. So I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, job security for people who have expertise in managing musculoskeletal pain, because it is just a freight train that's still rolling down the yeah. tracks for sure. Yeah. I actually, I started working with a trainer. I just go once a week. And he has me do all these stretches and different things so he can help me balance out where I'm tight, where, you know, imbalances in the body. And I, that's been very, very helpful. And when I first started over 20 years ago at university, I was a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to go now, like have circle train me. But, you know, back then it was just like having people just do bench press, having people just do squats. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was uh, a little bit different. Actually, it was over 20 years ago, but... <laughs> I know, right? I, you, it's funny because you said the word OG during our interview here. And I was like, I think of myself sometimes that way, like, you know, getting into natural medicine. I graduated from naturopathic school in 2001. So that was like 23 years ago. And, yeah. uh, and, I, and I'm like, that means I started like four or five years before that. And it's like Whole Foods was just kind of like getting their footing, uh -huh. you know, like it was. It, and so it's weird to think I, I still have a really strong passion for it. Hopefully that comes across. And but I, I feel like, wow, I've been at this for decades. Like, Jesus. And don't you feel like, like the longer you're at it, the more you don't know too. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I know so many more things, but now I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, but there's so much. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. There's certain humility that comes with experience. Absolutely. Yes. hundred yeah, percent. I agree. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to share any last minute tips for our listeners before we end this episode? Oh gosh, this was a real treat. What I would say, and we didn't talk about this, but like if people are at all interested in what we were talking about here and want to explore these things a little bit further. So I am the medical director and the founder of a company called Up Wellness, where I formulate products based on my clinical experience over these decades. And you can go to upwellness.com and check those out. You can see the, you know, what they look like in the flesh, right? Products that help musculoskeletal pain, products that contain adaptogens for stress management, digestive health, that whole spectrum of things. So yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to, to to point people in that direction if that's something that they're interested in. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, the reason we have supplementation is to supplement. And so if you can pair that with healthy lifestyle changes and moving your body, getting sunshine, stretching, doing those things. And like you said, you know, when you feel something coming on, that's when you upskill your supplement intake. And that's, what's beautiful about supplementation because we are depleted in our food and things like that. So yeah, absolutely. I and yes, we want that base, that good foundation. And then we just level up from there. And I think, you know, the way I think about it is, is there's medicines everywhere, right? And there's medicines in our food, there's medicine in movement, there's medicine in connecting with other people. Yeah. There's medicines oh, yeah. and herbal supplements too. And there's medicine and hip replacement surgery, if that's what you need. So all the way up mm -hmm. on up that chain, I think what we're here to do is like explore those lower rungs, which are often much more powerful than people give them credit for. And that's the kind of medicine man that I am, you know? Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Josh, for joining us today. I really appreciate yeah, sure. it. This was a treat. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.